This is the Adirondack Books and Beyond podcast. Here we go. Yeehaw! Oh, what a hog! Take him, Corey. Got a boy. Hey guys, welcome back to the Adirondack Bucks and Beyond podcast. Um, we got the whole crew here today, um, and we have a guest who probably doesn't need much of an introduction, who we're about to call here in a minute. We have Mr. Zachary Farinball from THP coming on, and uh, Zach, we met Zach in what, this last December? Um, we went up and <clears throat> hunted with Just Hunt Club. And uh, Zach happened to be tagging along with them in the Adirondacks, and he did some tracking, so we're getting him on here today. We're going to talk about that and probably see where, where the conversation leads us. So we're going to give Zach a ring right now, and uh, then we will be ba- right back. Hello. How's it going, man? What's up, dude? Um, I'm uh, just just putting on some coffee and walked away from my phone, so... Oh, you're all That's good, when man. he called, of course. <laughs> yeah, you're all good. Can you uh, can you hear me? All right. Yeah. You you guys say something. Just see. Yeah, you. I hear him good. What's up, man? It's Corey. Hey, Corey. How's it going, man? Good, dude. Good to hear from you. Yeah. Good to hear from you guys. How was uh, how was Texas? That was pretty fun. Pretty uh, pretty laid back. Honestly, it's completely different than anything else you know i've ever done yeah as far as hunting goes but i mean it's still fun just to kind of screw around and sit in a sit in a little stand over a feeder <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little different than what you're used to huh oh uh, yeah yeah that's it i mean going into it i was like just you know don't have any expectation it'll be different but just have fun with it yeah right. it was fun did you shoot one <laughs> Yeah. So, here, I just put headphones in for my phone. Can you still hear me all right? Yeah, actually, I hear you better. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, so, I I shot one, or well, I actually shot multiple. It's kind of a kind of a long story, but. Um, we got nothing I'll but give time. You the, <laughs> yeah. So, the first one, um, the first night we had um, some hogs come in after dark now the way he's got it set up and i don't know i guess i'd never seen anything like this before but they'll have feeders with lights set up on them yeah some of the lights that they have are like like the first one was just a red light and once it came on it was on and at its full brightness but um, some of the some of the other ones are like motion sensor lights so the first night we just had a regular red light and i had a a uh, red light on my stabilizer just as a backup. Yeah. Well, a bunch of hogs come in and you can only see them under the, like right under the feeder. Like as soon as they get out from underneath that thing, you can't, you can't see them anymore. And they're, um, you know, just blend in with the darkness because they're, uh, they're all black. Right. So yeah. anyway, they come running in and they, I'm trying to get the camera for for Troy to get I'm trying to give him camera and I'm trying to adjust the settings while I panicked and like hit some different stuff while I hand it to him and I had to take it back from him all while these hogs are there and I oh, God. take it back from him, get it ready. It's like okay, we're good. And 
I draw back and there's a whole bunch of them standing under the feet or just a bunch of, um, sows and, and shoats. And yep. I just, he goes, he goes, devils are cool too. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like not terribly worried about shooting, you know, into one and hit another one after he said, I mean, I never was, but when he said it, I was like, okay, I'm for sure doing it. You know, not worried about it. So I shoot and I, and I, I, so because I'm, because of, I've said this a lot to a lot of people, because I'm an asshole, I wasn't using a loop, uh, lighted knock, which everybody hates, everybody hates me for it. I know, but I, I watched my arrow just go right through the first pig. I'm like, that's like, it's perfect shot and it sounds good. And squealing happens and all hell breaks loose, pigs run everywhere. And like I said, as soon as they're not underneath that light, you can't see them. Well, they right. go crashing through the brush and there's pigs going everywhere. Well, end up uh, getting down, walking back, got everybody, went back in there. Yeah. And I, like you, like I said, on the footage, I yeah, I can tell it if we slow it down frame by frame. I can tell where my arrow hits based in in referencing my memory, but mm-hmm. um, I just couldn't. I, you just couldn't see it perfectly on the on the uh, camera because I'm again an asshole that doesn't shoot a lighted <laughs> knock. So so we get back and we go in. We get everybody. We go into the group to track. And we can't find blood in the one that I'm aiming at. And, like, I know what? I drill this thing. And it's just, like, perfect, perfect shot. I know it's perfect, whatever. And I, I keep telling everybody that. And ends up we find another blood trail going a different direction, track that for a long way, never find anything. It eventually piddles out. And we're just, like, it gets to a point where we've been in there for, like, three or four hours. Right. And we're not finding anything. It's and when it's dark, man, those things just—it's not like a deer where you see a white belly or brown fur. Yeah, they're pretty dark animals. So, yeah, they just blend in. So, anyway, long story short, we'd never find anything that that night. We go back, and and it also gets to a point where it's been hours and hours. It's freaking ninety-five degrees in the dark. Right. Like, well, got them rattle, got them rattlesnakes everywhere too down there, probably. (laughs) Uh, it, right there, he said there weren't, there aren't very many. We never saw any, so you know that was good. But that is good. We end up going back the next morning and finding the hog that I shot, and it was so stupid. One of those deals we went past it how many times, but we never found any blood. Huh. And um, I mean, we walked right past the thing. I mean, five, seven yards from it, just never saw it. And, oh, no you know, shit. Had all kinds of lights, but, you know, just that's just the way it, way it went. So, did it, did it wasn't fast in some... forward. Go, go ahead. Wide open. Just in wide open. Oh, just really? couldn't see it. I mean, I think that's actually hurt us, you know, because we were looking so much in the brush that when we were walking in the open, I probably just weren't taking that seriously enough. And right. So, fast forward to a couple days later, um, when we're about to leave and Troy had got out on the, on the, you know, he, he calls it his scooter. It's just a big ass ranger and he's rolling around, he's rolling around on that thing. And, and, uh, he, he comes, comes back and he's like, dude, he's like, you killed two. He's like, I found another one. So when I had shot through that first one, it actually shot through two of them oh, no and killed shit. two of them. Yeah. A double pass through. Oh, that's oh my awesome. gosh. Yeah, well, it's awesome. Other than I feel like, and 
kind of a doofus for not being able to find anything or all, right, you know, right. all however many of us that were out there and looking for four hours. We never found anything, but it just goes to show like how, for one, how much harder a hog is to find in general and how like those things are weird, man, where they just don't bleed like a deer do. Like this, I mean, they will if you, if you hit them in the heart or, you know, in some arteries around the heart, but like you can hit pigs in the lungs and they just won't bleed. It's so crazy. Yeah. They seem like pretty, uh, pretty hardy animals for the most part. Yeah. They're, they look like yeah. they're and super then, shifty too when you go to shoot them. Oh yeah. They never stop moving around at all. Like nonstop, just moving, moving, moving. But actually, I, I actually watched, ended up, I watched Greg's video today and that is hilarious when the feeder comes off and that pig just comes sprinting into the feeder. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, you can tell it's just like, work. Oh hell yeah. This is my chance. Then that, the, the next night after I'd shot um, those two, I actually had um, another very similar deal where some kid, it was just two of them, but the uh, sound show came in uh probably about an hour after dark and that was a motion sensor light and and my stabilizer light Troy had told me to give to Ted because he thought our light would be better well our motion sensor light never went off (laughs) so same deal pigs come in and and Troy's just like I can't see anything (laughs) in the camera and I, I take the camera from him and start messing with settings and get it set up and end up um, getting on or I end up getting it to where you can see enough. I think you can see enough. And, uh, I ended up wait, just being patient. And they went around the feeder like three or four times. I let drew, let down, drew, let down. Yep. Um, finally, finally got a good broadside and made a perfect shot on that one too. And that was weird because that one was, completely the opposite just like a blood trail like you know picture perfect blood trails anyone could follow it it's like huh. somebody colorblind would have been able to follow that blood it just was, <laughs> you know now, zach, right zach i know you guys have been working on your arrow setups here for the last few years what are you mm-hmm. shooting this year what were you using down there i had a vector hmr which they have they have a new one coming out the zmr i made toy around with that one a little bit too um but the hmr is their heavier one and i got a 125 grain uh, grizzly stick samurai which is a single bevel yep um triangle shape not curved straight edge single bevel and um i mean just just perfect it's everything i could ask about it you know the only downside i would say is the one I hit <laughs> the second one I shot. I hit the feeder on the backside, and that kind of dinged it up. But I mean, yeah. what do you expect? Like, yeah, metal, you're to hit a rock or or hit yeah, hit the freaking feeder. Like, that's <laughs> not going to happen in a lot of situations, yeah. you know. So, um, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I have a I have a pretty um, strong opinion on the single bevel for my personal preference, like. <laughs> I guess to be honest, I'm I'm not totally sure why anybody would ever shoot not a single bevel, but that's just me. You know, I just like it because it's like to get maximum penetration. I mean, that's gonna do it. And right. a lot of people shoot like ones with bleeders on them and stuff. And and I, I mean, seen tons of success with it, tons of path pass throughs. But 
to me, it's just like that single bevel with nothing else. No bleeders, no nothing, just a straight single bevel. It's like you're going to get the most penetration there. I guess the one... I guess the one downside is maybe you just don't have as much. I, I, I don't know. If you hit everything right, it's like there's going to be blood. So it's it's yeah. Also it's, the other downside. Also Zach Brad here. It's good to meet you, man. Hey, also Brad. the other downside yeah. to those samurais is that they're nearly impossible to get out of the pack without cutting your finger in half. I've done it <laughs> yeah, twice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're they're razor exactly. sharp. I think we're all in agreement here that we kind of feel the same way based off our experiences in the last few years with the single bevels. I mean, unmatched with penetration, the yep. killing is unbelievable. I mean, a lot of the times a deer we're shooting, they have no idea they're even being shot. But like you said, yeah. the one thing we have experienced is sometimes a lack of blood trail. Yeah, lack yeah of blood that's trails definitely <laughs> been a big thing with them. Good thing the, the deer have been super dead because yeah. the blood trail is yeah, pretty much not there. A, that's a, it's the, it's the, it's like a weird trade-off. Okay. So I've said this a lot too. It's like, I've shot a shit ton of deer with guns that didn't bleed at all. I mean, they'll run, you know, 80 yards and there's no blood. Right. And it's like, you still find them. So it's the same thing if I'm shooting a single bevel broadhead and it doesn't necessarily bleed. But I mean, I say that, but I've had that with every broadhead too, where I've shot a deer and they run the first 60, 70 yards, and there's not a drop, and then all of a sudden it opens up and it's easy. So it's like a little bit of it just always comes down to trying to remember where it went past post-shot. Now, for us, it's easy. We're filming it, right. and you can just – you don't have to, like, rely on a memory because that can get foggy in the heat of the moment. But Most definitely. If you, if you do your best to remember exactly where that – thing ran and where the last place you see it or and then hear it and whatever you know if you do those take those steps and you're just kind of try to keep your composure you know it's like if the deer is dead the deer is going to be dead whether there's blood or not it's just a matter of you you know hopefully getting a line on it and, and you know i've never i've never actually lost a deer that i thought i that i you know know i had a good shot on that I just couldn't find blood. You know what I mean? It just, at some point, something plays out, even if it's just a couple drops at a time until maybe it opens up or, you know, you just find it, you know, before it ever opens up. But, but point is, is, um, I guess the lack of blood doesn't really concern me much. I mean, again, I just use an example of this hog that I shot that we couldn't find, but right. it's a little bit of a unique situation where, we didn't get a good line on it because it shot in the dark, you know, like yeah, you're not right, going right. to do that with a deer, Yeah, you know? So that makes a big difference. Um, so I know we're kind of talking about both stuff right now, but I think we kind of want to trans transition over, um, and talk about when you came up to the Adirondacks a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, so what was your, what was your first impression like coming to the Adirondacks? Did you have any like thoughts of how it was going to be and how was it different if, if anything, I mean, I've listened, you know, I, I try to talk to people, pay attention to, um, like what other people are saying about the Northeast in general. And I would say the one thing that's unique about the Northeast is the terrain is like, uh, it's not really uniform. And, and that was right. something that I was excited to see for myself. I say that, but there's still similarities that you find across any of like Eastern U.S. Right. Um, but I guess as far as 
you know, I, I, I do so much map. Just I just look at so much stuff on a map constantly. Map just nerd. Yes, yeah. and I'll be floating all over the place. So I had looked at you know the Adirondacks for years. Yep. Um, just just breezing through on the map. Um, you know, as far as expectation, I would say it was a little bit. Uh, I did see you know hunters, which was. Uh, honestly kind of surprising i didn't think you'd see just like a truck park um but right that being said i don't think that the pressure is like through the roof by any means obviously there's tons of ground people can go and be spread out but i was interested to see like okay there's people here um there are people actually out here doing this that was kind of surprising and then as far as like how it how it went once we were in the woods it pretty much aligned exactly with my expectations. Like you're going to have to kind of get, just get your feet on the ground and start to learn some stuff and see, you know, what's good and what's or not necessarily what's good and what's not. But, um, if there's not what you're ex- or hoping to find, what is it about that particular area, whether it be terrain or, um, timber type, right? What is it about that that makes that not so good versus a different area where maybe you're finding more signs? Right. Well, see, and, like, uh, I actually, I rewatched the, uh, your video before you came on here, like last night of you hunting on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seemed like by like day three, like it seemed like you kind of had a much better understanding of what was going on. You guys seemed to like be picking it up pretty quick there. Well, I, I think one unique thing was is Brett had had some prior experience in that one particular area. So, like, the right. first two days we spent – and we were only there for three days. So, you know, keeping in mind that my experience is so limited there and, um, you know, I think you, you keep putting on – putting hours and miles on boots and you're going to just continue to get better at this. Um, but, but what I, what I, I guess what I had transferred from, well, let me take a step back Let me take a step back. Brett had hunted this particular area that we started at and he was there like, yeah, just, just the week prior. Right. And him and Ross, his hunting buddy, they jumped a really big buck Mm -hmm. and we're, we're like damn close to getting shot. And he went in there. Or he, he wanted to go back in there to see if we could find this buck. Well, we went in and didn't find hardly a lick of sign. And that wasn't that much different than what he had found the week prior. They just got lucky and found this track at the end of the day and ended up bumping into the buck. Right. And, um, you know, he was interested in going back there. Well, we hunted there first day and the second day. And then... Um, that's when Where, we, we came this you on your second day, right, Corey and I? I think that, so. I, I think it was on your yeah. I I kind of told the story before you got on here. We were recording. I just said, um, how that's when we met you is going up there because John invited us up. Um, yeah, right, right. And that's yeah. I how think all you guys transpired. were. I think you guys were there on the second day. I can't. I can't remember exactly if you guys were there on the. No, I think you guys might have been there at the end of the first day. Oh, okay. Even. Either way, um, what what Brett and I took from past experiences, and this this was probably this is the thing that I'm the most proud of, I guess, as far as um, you know, just strategy goes within 
this little three-day hunt was Brett and I looked at the map and we were like, okay, this spot that we're hunting, it just doesn't have a whole lot of terrain features. Right. Like it, yep. in the grand scheme of it, it was kind of flat. I mean, everything was real, real gradual. There wasn't a whole bunch of like, different ridges and valleys and swamps. And mm-hmm. it, it was just really broad, drawn out and kind of, kind of honestly pretty boring. And once we were in the, in the timber, it was very boring. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. I, all that I remember that. Yeah. Just real gray. Uh, is the best way to put it. And, you know, based off of, um, experiences that Brett had had experiences that I've had in different parts of, um, you know, the, the Appalachian, you know, range, I guess, as I have noticed that when you're in areas that just have, you know, some sort of diversity, not just that big open hardwoods, um, like in, in Virginia, for example, I've been in, in areas where, um, you're in some big, nice open hardwoods, but then you can kind of also get into like Mount Moral and rhododendron and some pine stands and just a good mix of things. And that's where the deer sign seems to really increase. Yeah. Um, and I found that when I've been turkey hunting, but, um, we were looking at the map and we were trying to find not only, um, more diverse timber, but we were also trying to find areas with more terrain. Yep. Um, just, more i always call it max potential for bedding so this is something that i i kind of started looking at when i was hunting in um really ohio but i i kind of use this everywhere is like if there's a whole bunch of bit points and now uh i tried to explain this in a way that somebody listening could understand that <laughs> right there's if you look at a bunch of uh I guess if you look at one big ridge system, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. If it's just a ridge running north and south and there's not a whole lot of secondary points coming off of it, there's not a whole lot of good flat spots for that deer to bed. Mm-hmm. Right? There's not you're not maximize it's not the max potential versus a ridge that's running north and south and then it's got five little fingers coming off on the east side of that ridge and then yep. there's flat points on all those fingers, you know, then there's now you're talking five plus areas that are nice little bedding spots. So right. what we were dealing with in the first spot is this real broad, flat, rolling stuff that just didn't have a whole bunch of really solid, concentrated bedding terrain features mm-hmm. versus the second spot that we found had all these different knobs. There were high knobs, there was swamps, there was um, a whole bunch of just different terrain features that you can look at and say, okay, that's the type of stuff I've seen deer bed in. Now, obviously we're talking about the Adirondacks. I've never hunted the Adirondacks, but in hilly terrain, the scale may be different, but those are the spots that deer bed in, in places I've been, whether that be, I mean, Alabama or up in New York, like, yeah, no, you're, I think you're absolutely right on that. The, deer, I mean, deer bed on flat spots in hill country, and yep. they're pretty easy to find, especially if you put a bunch of effort into scouting hill country and just like, okay, this is a good example of a bed. This is a good example of a bed. This is a good example. And then you kind of go back and backtrack all that knowledge that you learned scouting. Yep. And there, there's 
you, you start to just be able to pick those spots. And, and honestly, you get to a point, you don't even have to go there to scout it anymore. Like you just know there's going to be a bed there. So, yeah, so like, are you looking on a map and like, you're, are you just from, from so much experience, you're just seeing that on a map. You're knowing yeah, like, like this is a spot where I'm going to find a buck bedded mostly. Well, maybe. And, and not necessarily, yeah, not necessarily knowing there's going to be one exactly on that particular point, but, but just like, general, we, general, uh, features on a map. Yeah, and okay. like what what Brett and I were thinking was is if we go into this area that has higher diversity and has more terrain on it, then there's just higher odds that we're going to cut a, like more track. We're going to just find more deer sign because there's probably going to be a higher carrying capacity in this area just because there's more places for them to to be. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. Yep. So and, just like um, habitat diversity, you're looking for terrain diversity as well. Exactly. And I just, I just think that like, (laughs) no matter what the scale is too, that's really important because, you know, I think a lot of times, um, like you you hear the same thing, elk hunters say the same thing out here and guys up in the Northeast say the same thing up about, about, uh, uh, you know, where, where animals want to bed, right? It's like, well, that's not like, you know, that's not like what, you know, the white tails you're used to because, which honestly irritates the hell out of me. It's like, (laughs) it's it's like, that's not like that here. They don't do that here. And it's like, they're still doing that. They're still bedding in those same terrain features. It may be blown up. I'm not saying you can go to, to, like you know exact walk exactly to that spot or within five or ten yards of it it may still be a bigger area but they're still gonna be on that flat spot of that knob right, right? they're not just gonna bed on the steep hillside like they're yeah. just not gonna do it neither neither are elk i mean it's the same thing if you're in the huge mountains of the west and the rockies as it is you know in the in the mountains of the adirondacks right it's the same concepts like if there's flat spots around you know steep otherwise steep terrain like that's where those deer are going to be concentrated now that's not to say that i'm i'm not going to sit here and tell you that i can say there's definitely going to be a buck on this particular flat spot but when you've got 20 of those within a you know uh big you know a chunk of property that you're going into then then you just know that you, your odds are going up Does that right. makes sense no yeah no it makes complete sense and uh, I, I mean i think we talked about it while i was there and i, yeah. I felt like that was something that we were kind of like yeah that like that that's something you guys agreed with is if you got Absolutely. some more of that terrain then you just got bumping your odds up to seeing more deer right i remember you were showing us a map and it looked relatively i mean not flat but uh, much flatter than and less terrain than other areas and that's usually what we look for is the more terrain, the better usually when we're going, mm-hmm. especially to track. That area was, yeah. was pretty unique even to us because we're, where we are in the portion of the Adirondacks that we hunt, it's just quite the opposite. Everything seems to be steep where we where we are. So to hunt that country that one day that we did was, was kind of uh, mind-blowing to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't look yeah. very uh, very familiar to anything that we usually hunt. Yeah, hunting all those fingers um, and, and those kind of terrain features, too, is way more efficient because if you take one whole mountain system, and let's say, like, overall, if you were to draw a circle around it, it's like a five-mile radius of the mountain. Well, if you get up 
three quarters to the top and you're checking all of those fingers and those pinches and stuff well now you only have to hunt about a mile worth of that mountain and right. you're hunting it the most efficiently and that mm -hmm. we've I, I would say anytime we've tracked on a mountain there's a buck there so if you're looking at a topo and you can pick out four or five different mountain systems in a general area you can guarantee there's at least one buck in every one of those mountains for the most, mm -hmm. to some extent so just get up there and hunt efficiently by checking those areas that are most likely to have beds on them and you're bound to probably grab a track of a buck that's coming down either off the mountain or you're bumping him right out of his bed right mm -hmm. oh yeah and zach mm -hmm. by the way this is uh that was brad the guy who we told you grunted in that buck when we were when we were hunting up here up there in the adirondacks oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. this mm -hmm. is the guy <laughs> uh, <laughs> <sweet>. <laughs> uh, um yeah, so like going going on like what you're saying, I remember something that like stuck out in my head that we talked about when we did the podcast with you guys is when you were talking about uh, like if you were to ever come and like bow hunt it, just like without any experience, no cameras, anything. And I thought that was really interesting the way that you said you would go about it. Do you remember talking about that? Um, when you were saying like how you would pick how like you think you would go on the map, pick out like a bunch of different points and like rattle or grunt like make a whole whole sequence out of it and keep bouncing right, from spot right. to spot i just thought that was super yeah. interesting the way you that would definitely work it. that it would 100 percent no, work i, I never there. even thought of that but yeah. like it was super interesting so if you wanted to like reiterate oh. on that zach um kind yeah. of how you would yeah. go about I, it because we're so we're very I, interested I, in bow hunting it we we haven't bow hunted it but this year i think we're gonna I'm, start getting into it and i i really liked what you said about that <laughs> I'm just not, I mean, I'm just not cut out to just set up in a, a spot. I, I just don't want to do that. And right. to be honest, I, I don't, it is of no interest to me. So I'm always trying to think outside of the box. It's like, okay, that's what probably is the norm or in general across the country, it certainly is the norm when you're talking white tails, it doesn't really matter where it is. I mean, hell, it can be Kansas and that's still the norm. Right. Um, people want to get into tree stands and, um, and set up and I, I know that obviously works. I mean, it's been something that people have been doing forever, <laughs> almost exclusively for 20 or 30 years now. Right. But, you know, there was a time before the tree stand popularity where people were doing other things too. And I think it's like, I don't want that. I really don't for one, want that style to die. And two, but well, I mean, main reason being is I know I'm not the only one, right? Yeah. Like I'm not the only one that's not cut out for a tree stand. And, right. you know, I'd, I think of the people that hunt in those big timber areas and, and, you know, it's like, what, what, what are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to just, you know, be like, well, I guess I'm not a deer hunter because I don't like to set up. It's like, well, not necessarily like, you know, do try something, something different, different. And, right. and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And I, I guess let's put it this way. I know it would work. It's just a matter of like getting better at it and getting more efficient, just like it would be to be good at setting up a tree stand in the mm -hmm. right location. Right. It's exactly. like, there's a learning curve there. So I'm not saying I'm going to, yeah, I'm not saying I'm going to go out in a, in a, in a week time frame on my first trip to the Adirondacks with a bow and know that I'm going to rattle in a buck and kill it. Like no, <laughs> no, by no, in, yeah. no means could guarantee that, but it's like, I don't know that I could do it with setting up a tree stand either for that matter. So right. I just think that, uh, if I was going to go, um, if I was going to go bow hunt in a big, um, big track land like that, and this I would just pick out. This probably pertains to like any big woods setting for you, right? Like any, yeah. any large scale 
amount of yeah, amount of property that you're hunting with a bunch of train, you would probably use this tactic in, the, in those places move, too. Move around, try to do a lot of, um, you know, do a lot of calling, do a lot of just, and it depends, you know, every, every spot's a little bit different. What is unique about the Adirondacks compared to like, um, I use the example of Virginia. In Virginia, I don't necessarily, I feel like you can hear better there because you're maybe on a ridge, but the ridge that's running parallel to you may only be, you know, 200 yards over to that other ridge. So right. you're going to hear a deer chasing a, a buck chasing a doe over there, right? Mm-hmm. Where in the Adirondacks, everything's so spread out. It, 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 everything almost has to be right on top of you to hear it. So Absolutely. there, I almost feel like you'd be better to be moving a lot of distance you know, and just covering a bunch of ground trying to find something that's interesting, you know, something that catches your eye. Now, maybe you find, maybe you do get to a spot in a terrain feature where you're like, dude, this saddle just makes sense. It's like this big saddle, you know, connects this swamp down here to this swamp over here. Either mm-hmm. side, there's just this big steep peaks on either side of me. Like I'm finding, I found five rubs through this saddle. Um, you know, maybe I set up here in the morning or an evening or something, and just chill out, you know, not writing that off either. But, um, it, to me, if you're moving around, you're calling, you're getting aggressive in that way, you're just learning more about the area too. So mm-hmm. like I said, in, in a seven day time frame, I'm not necessarily expecting to get an opportunity necessarily, but if I did that for seven days straight, I'd learn a hell of a lot more than if I did, if I just sat in one spot for seven days straight, you know what I mean? Right. And that's also coming from a, that's coming from a non-resident guy too. You know, maybe I'd approach it slightly different if I was, you know, right. That was right out my back door. If it was right out my back door, um, I'd probably spend a ton of time just going through the woods, scouting, trying to find places that I could mix it up or, you know, if I want to set up in the morning, I got a place that I know I can go to, sit the first few hours, and then I can go move around. Right. Or in the evening or something like that. Which is um, kind of our scenario so, is yeah. basically what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. We, we, we go out there, we scout, we hang the cameras. We already have a camera hung up there. So, mm-hmm. and then the place where we think we're probably going to try focusing on bow hunting. Um, yep. Yeah, when I think early season scrape lines to an extent, especially if you get on the right, again, terrain feature, particularly a bench, I mean, it's almost predictable when you're going to hit a scrape line because as soon as you hit one, it's like bing, bing, bing. Every, you know, 50 to 75 yards, he's just, he's hammering it. Mm -hmm. And uh, before, if honestly, if if you're marketed on your map too, it probably all starts to make sense and you can pretty much pinpoint where he's probably coming from. It's just, will you know, can you stick it out with the bogues? Then that's where the patience comes in up there. Yeah. But, Mm -hmm. but but I think about the day we hunted with the muzzleloader up there, Bill, and Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I don't know why it never crossed my mind. It just, I guess up, up here, Zach, it's still hunting is like such a way of, it's like a way of life for hunting up here. Like you either mm-hmm. still haunt, you track, or you do drives to each other, and they're all productive. Yes. So like the idea yes. to go up there with rattling antlers like doesn't even cross most Adirondack guys' minds. But you know, the more I think about it, I'm like, that would that would absolutely work. I, that's and I'm absolutely going to do that. Like when when you said that, Zach, I was like, that is such a good. I idea. I mean, I've like, hunted some beautiful ridges that I I don't even I can't even imagine what might come in if I rattle on it. I know. Honest yeah. with the amount of sign I've seen on some of them. So yeah. well, think about think about if you do that if you do that you know 
and, and, and if you got a route plan and you got a, like a little checklist of places you want to hit in a day and, and you go into it and if you're super efficient with it, you might be able to knock out like, I mean, it may be, this may be low or high depending on uh, the particular area, but let's say you hit eight setups that were quality setups that you're rattling into or calling, doing a, some sort of built up calling um, sequence into eight really quality spots, right? And you did that one day. And you turn around, you did eight more the next day. Turn around, you do eight more the next day. And and you do that in a week time frame on a hunting trip or a hunting vacation Numbers or whatever during the season. Point. I mean, yeah, you're, you're at some point a damn deer's hearing you. I mean, no I, doubt. No I, doubt. I feel like you're gonna you're gonna and and that's so so where I get that theory is um, is is through elk hunting, right? So. That's what we do when we elk hunt. Now, granted, when you're elk hunting, you're throwing a bugle out there, and it's way louder than a grunt call, but it's the same concept, really, right? You're just right. walking through potential bedding areas on this really big-scale mountain, and you just get up at that elevation where you're finding good sign, you're finding beds, you're finding trails, you're finding – I mean, you can smell elk. It's the same thing that you can do with deer. You know, you're finding mm-hmm. scrapes, you're finding trails, you smell deer. You know, it's like, ooh, this spot, this little pocket's hot. And if you call into enough of those places, but definitely with elk, if you call into enough of those places, at some point a bull responds to you. Why would that be any different with deer? It may not be, you know, it may be fewer and further between, but I, but I do bet if you get one to commit, like where with elk, or turkeys, for example, you may get a you may get a distant bugle or a distant gobble, but if you get a buck to commit to rattling, like he's not gonna he's not gonna give you a distant grunt, right? Like, sure. If he's, if he's coming in, he's coming in. So like when it does work, it's like you know, and that would be that would be one hard part about it is just keeping the focus and the confidence. But it's just you'd have you'd have to go into it with this idea of like. At any given point, this is it. And you make sure you're ready to rock every setup. You know, get right. into it. Clear yourself out a little spot. You know, build the sequence up. Be really paying attention, listening hard. And then if you do all those things and it does finally play out, I mean, you really do have a legit chance at it, I think. I, and I, I guess I Especially could be Especially since but... our bucks aren't tainted by overcalling, Zach. You know what I mean? Like, it's, right, they're right. so few and far between out there. They don't hear vocalizations unless it's other deer, so... Yep. Well, and I, I think we talked about this while I was out there. Like, I'm, I'm kind of a firm believer too that deer, deer communicate with grunts and different sounds in big timber settings more than a deer that would in an area where they can get a visual on each other easier. Definitely. Right. Absolutely. So, like, for, for example, if I'm in a, if I'm in a big CRP river bottom in Kansas, um, or Nebraska or Iowa. And, you know, that buck can stand and stick his head up and he can see the other buck's antlers sticking out of the grass. It's like, what's his point of grunting? You know, it's like he can already see what he's looking at. But when you can't see, you know, but obviously this varies, but, but if you can't see terribly far in the woods, it's like, well, it makes a lot more sense for, it's like if a deer is walking through the woods and he hears another deer walking through the woods, if he grunts, you know, now he's letting that deer know, Hey, I'm a deer, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a bear. I'm not a human. I'm not a, you know, coyote, whatever. Like I'm confirming that I'm another deer. And if you build up that calling scenario like that, 
especially as you get later into the season, like you get into that October time, late October time frame, you start doing that stuff, man, you're going to get something tired of. I would have to believe it, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I don't necessarily do the squirrel walk, although I completely agree with like your, your uh, reasoning behind it, but I am a firm believer in, in walking like a deer and not like a human mm-hmm. in the crunchy leaves of late mm-hmm. October. And, and it no doubt will draw attention of other deer that hear you moving. Well, and I, I vary that so much too, depending on the setting. I mean, depending on what time of the year it is, like, you know, I don't, I don't exclusively squirrel walk by any means. I, I certainly. You coined that phrase, dude. That's yours. (laughs) Squirrel walk. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you could do, you could do that. You could do turkey. You could do deer, whatever it is, just masking that, you know one two cadence of a of a human footstep that is such a dead giveaway it really is just it really is uh probably one of the things that i mean i say i say i don't want to make it sound like i'm i'm not a part of this because i absolutely am like i would say my biggest mistake as well as everybody's is you let your guard down, you start walking like a human. I mean, it doesn't take but five steps and you've blown everything because you, you, you took a playoff, right? It's like, yep. you kind of quit paying attention and all of a sudden you're like one, two, three, four. And you're like, Oh shit. Like I went too far, you know? And I just, I mean, I do that all the time. Yeah, no, that's, or you've been doing it for an hour and you're like, ah, oh, screw it. And you just start walking. <laughs> oh, dude. So I got a, I got a little story that, I mean, you can watch this video, like, you know, but it, but it really, it, re- it really reminds me of similarity of, uh, it's, it's an Ohio hunt, but the areas I choose to hunt in Ohio don't have a ton of deer. They're big timber. There's not openings. Um, or it's what I've been choosing to hunt the last couple of seasons. And, um, you can watch this video and I'll give the short version of it, um, because you can watch it. And I've told the story a million times on different podcasts and stuff, but I was hunting with Ben and we had picked a spot that was exactly like, um, what we've been talking about. I just had a bunch of potential terrain, like little fingers that I thought deer could bet on. So we picked it which way the wind was blowing and we said okay you know there's a decent chance they're going to be on this side of this ridge the downwind side on this little finger that's nice and flat so we go in there and ultimately get to that spot and kick the dough off the top of the ridge and started to drop down where we expected the buck to be and found a big empty buck bed not one we, like we hadn't jumped in but it was just like one of these deals where it's like, eh, I guess he's just not here today. And we looked at the bed for a couple of minutes and we started walking again. And I did exactly what I'm talking about. Did the like, you know, four or five steps in a row. And I realized I was like, you know, messing up and I stopped and I looked to my left because I just had this gut feeling. I'm like, I'm, I, like I went too far. I'm going to jump a deer. And I looked and sure enough, I was jumping a deer and Ben yells big buck. Well, it's a one deer ahead that I think saw me or heard me, looked up, saw me, took off running, and then there's the the big buck. And I don't, you know, Ben and I both agreed. It's like he didn't really act like he knew what was going on. Could right. you smell his now, bed, re- Zach, when you got close to it? 
don't mean to cut you Could off. Could we smell it? Could you smell his bed? Was it stinky like he had been in it? No, no, he had he hadn't been in it that day. Okay. But you could tell that he, you know, in the last couple months, so this was early December, you could tell sometime in the last couple months there'd definitely been a buck bedded in there. Okay, right. gotcha. Like it was definitely a buck bed, but it just it wasn't smoking hot fresh by any means. Sure, sure. So we bumped these two deer, and, and, and again, the reason I tell this particular story is, is I feel like it's very relatable to, like, a, um, a dry ground Adirondack hunt or any big timber situation. So we watched where this deer ran to, gave it some time, gave it a little bit of time just to settle back down. And, you know, hopefully if he didn't go that far, he wouldn't hear us go to where we last saw him and ended up going down there and found right when we get down to where we jumped him from, there's all kinds of fresh tracks. And, um, we followed his fresh running track through the dry ground. You could just tell where he had kicked up the leaves. You know, there's not enough deer like going through there day to day that it's hard to like, if, if deers went through there today, you can tell like right. about as easily as you can with snow. Mm-hmm. It's like absolutely has been a deer because it, because their, their hooves puncture that leaf litter. Right. Mm-hmm. So we track him down the hill and it's like, okay, he either dropped down a little bit and went out to the end of the point or he dropped down and across and just went to the other um, ridge that's almost a, a mirror image of the ridge that we're on. We figured it's probably pretty low odds that he stayed on the ridge, you know, and, and went down the finger that um, we're on. We figure he probably just went down and across because that's really the direction that he was headed. Mm-hmm. So to write off option, let's just call it option B because I don't think it's, it, we, we really believed he went down and across. We went out that way, knocked that off, you know, crossed that off because we went down there and the sign wasn't very fresh and we didn't see him down there or any other deer. We didn't jump anything and we decided we were going to circle all the way back around and get circle in from the other side from where we had bumped him. Well, we make that move all the way around, get to the um, spot that we wanted to get close to the spot that we wanted to set up and the sign just blew up. And by blowing up, I mean like you could tell deer had been in there feeding mm-hmm. and you again, you guys can relate to this. Any big woods hunter can relate to this, but you know, it would, it would very greatly, I guess let's put it this way. If you're hunting like farm country of Illinois, you're not looking for feeding sign in the timber. Like you don't care about that. That's not, that's, it honestly is almost irrelevant. I shouldn't say it's irrelevant, but it's, you're not worrying about like, you know, the, the leaves that are pushed back in the timber. You're like, Oh, okay. Some deer are feeding on these acorns. Right. right? It's like, but, but in this particular situation is like, this is definitely a big deal because there's not a whole lot of deer in here and you can tell they've been in here fresh. Mm-hmm. And we found a handful of rubs enough to, to tell us that there are bucks coming towards this food source and from the direction that we think this buck went to. So we end up going up, setting up against a uh, root wad. We did this, That's where we did the squirrel on the backside of the tree or on the backside of the little finger, got right up to the top to where we could see where it broke over. And sure enough, right at you know prime time, he came right out of the spot that we thought he went to, and came feeding his way right up to us and shot him with the gun at forty yards. When I watched now, it, when I watched that hunt, Zach, I was like, I-, I can't even believe what I'm watching right now. 
was like, <laughs> this, I was like, this guy just fucking gets it done every time. I mean, you literally, you just to call your shot like that to go two ridges over, and you sit down and hear this buck doesn't have a care in the world, just head down, feeding on acorns, and and that gun, that that rifle you shoot just absolutely pile drives deer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little pea shooter. I mean, that buck was a freaking uh, dog. Yeah. Yeah, no, that I, not, I remember watching that. Yeah, that, that was awesome. That's just that's just like one of those scenarios and out out of the box thinking, like it really yeah. is. Yeah, I mean, I just I've never I I would have been hard pressed to hunt with somebody. They're like, we're gonna go two ridges over and we're gonna sit down. And he's gonna come right into us, yeah, and that right. buck did. He did. <laughs> yeah, it was on dry ground, right. nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because like Ben and I just you know we we have our we had certain Ben and I certainly have our moments where we where we. Um, you know, disagree potentially, or maybe our comp. Maybe one guy's confidence is high, one is low, and it's really weird that like that whole time, that whole day, I would turn to him and I'd just be like, "Ben, like we're gonna kill this buck," and he'd just be like, "Like he was so sure as well," you know. It's just like, and and you know, it was kind of like all the signs just continued to lead to this is definitely where he's gonna be. Like there was just too much sign there and. Um, is he your just, best Ohio buck? I uh, yeah, either that or the one that I shot uh, this year during the muzzleloader season. Probably be close, but yeah, I mean, was that, definitely, definitely in the top three, I would say. Right? Was that on the drive? The one you kill on drive there? Yeah, and that there was a, that was a cool one. I, again, these again, I feel like these kind of relate. It's it's definitely not the same. Don't get me wrong; it's not the same. Um, so, and I don't want. I, I feel like there's some there's somebody from New York listening right now. They're like, "Yeah, son of a bitch, he doesn't know what he's talking about." This. No, dude, dude, <laughs> what you guys are what you guys are doing but, in Ohio with the drives is the same thing that goes on here. It ain't yeah, no different. Plenty, yeah, plenty. I, I mean, promise you. Actually, I mean, in a little bit, I think we want to get into that about how about you're how just you more organized stuff, about but, it, man. That's all. Yeah, um, but um, but but in that particular one that I shot this past year, that was just a deal where I knew where deer were betting. Um, I'd hunted that ridge a lot, but during both season and past years and, and had done a, a drive or two on it, um, two years prior. And I just, I'd found some beds up there, um, in November of 2020 with Keith. So this is, this is now January of 2022 mm-hmm. and I'm going up the nose of that ridge. And I just, as I got up there, I could feel the wind coming from my left to the right. And instead of going straight up the nose and ended up right on the top, I started to kind of cut on the downwind side of that nose of that ridge. That right. makes sense. And now, yep. now I'm kind of facing into the valley and the downwind side. And like, there's just a whole bachelor group of bucks standing there <laughs> and he's making a freaking rut. Like he was just showing off to the other nice buck there. Right. Like, 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 I'm, hey, the boss. I'm, I'm exactly. I'm yep. still the boss. And, and, uh, that was, I mean, honestly, as far as like, uh, one of those deals too, where it's just like that. That's the ultimate in my element. Like I'm literally moving through the woods as fast as I can. And like, what was fun too is like, I know it sucks, and I feel this. I feel torn both ways, where it's like I'd love to have had somebody be there filming. That's yeah. that's actually the first buck that I haven't had. That's the first deer that I've had that I've shot without somebody filming since I was, you know, 18 years old probably. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Oh so my God. Well, the like filming, 10, 11 years. Not, not to go back to this, but I just want to point this out, how you were saying like the, how much the filming helps with like shots and stuff earlier. Oh my God. No, yeah. Yeah. Since we've started filming our hunts, we're like, I can't believe we didn't do this earlier. Like it's, it, mm-hmm. it just helps so much with be able to tell like, okay, I hit this deer here. Like maybe we should wait, wait a while, or maybe we should go in right now. But yeah, the filming thing, totally. the filming thing makes a huge difference. But anyways, go on. That was a little sidetrack. Well, I was just, I was just gonna say, like, you know, because I didn't have somebody there. Although I would have loved to have had a really crisp video of somebody over my shoulder of that buck making rub. It's like that was just me moving at a pace that I felt good about, and and right. that that's. I don't know. I, I've really fallen in love with just moving and hunting. Like, I'd, I'd, if I don't ever have to stop moving my feet, that's when I'm that's when I'm having the most fun. But, <laughs> right. You know, that's why I like that's why I like tracking. You know, so yeah. We, I mean, before anyway. you even before you even came up and tracked, I always like I just picture you like that that you're in your element there because you're always moving. You're always like trying to fight. You're trying to catch up with the buck. Like I could just picture you doing that. So. Yeah, um, yep. and Aaron wants to get up here at some point too, right, Zach? Who's that? Aaron, Warburton. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody in our group at some point would think it would be pretty freaking fun to do it. I would like, I'd love to see the whole, the whole crew get up here at some point and try it. You know, I think Come it'd be up, and give it. <laughs> yeah, dude, I know you're telling me, <laughs> dude. You should. Um, when we, I don't know if we're doing, we're probably not doing it this year, but. Uh, I think next year we'll do it. Is our tent camp? You should come uh, spend a day with us up in our, or a couple days in our tent camp with us sometime. That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, dude, cool. it's pretty. It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Um, yeah, I just like I just like to get up there and like what we did this past year. What I thought was cool about that is like you're in an area that's so big. It's similar to like when we've done the the public land challenge and stuff, where it's like you know. I, it's not really about a challenge at all. I mean, it couldn't be more really, it couldn't be less. It, it, that's not the point. I suppose the point is you get everybody together like that and you just learn so much. Right. right. It's like when, when we were up there tracking and like you get three different groups or four different groups of guys coming in, it's just like all, all these experiences just, you know, put right in your brain right after the hunt and then right. you just learn so much more than if it's just you you know so I mean, that's, yeah, that's just what like makes that. it so much fun <laughs> and it just never gets old like you can oh, just yeah. feel the giddiness in the air for hunters up oh, here yeah. in the northeast when the snow when the snow is flying like it we're like kids on christmas and you'll get that sometimes multiple times a season so you just get that adrenaline rush over and over, over and over and again over. and getting to chase right. them up in the snow looking at that forecast mm-hmm. and seeing the snow rolling in is a good day yeah yep. definitely oh yeah definitely yep. um I think Adam, you had a question for Zach about his drives, right? Yeah. Do you, Zach, want, to, you want to talk yeah, about drives? Yeah. Hey Zach, it's Adam. Um, hey Adam, how's it going, man? Uh, doing doing well, man. Didn't even know didn't even know Adam was a part of. It. <laughs> <laughs> That's all four of us at this point. He's usually quiet over there. <laughs> um, so with us being a group who hunts together, pretty much all the time, I was wondering if you could tell us uh, a little about the things you take into consideration and what it takes to create a successful drive? That's an awesome question. I'm so glad you asked it, honestly. I, that's, I told he read that's, me the question before you got I go, Zach's going Zach's gonna to love that one. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll go a little bit into this. Um, I obviously hunt with these guys all the time. I have a family camp as well, and we pretty much exclusively drive, and it's not like Orange Army 
everybody whooping and hollering, doing that nonsense. We, you know, mm-hmm. the drivers are more or less still hunters, and there's people sitting in strategic spots for the for them to walk to them essentially. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, and I'd say that's the base, the you know, the base of ours too. And you know, as far as what do you take into consideration um, to be successful? For one, I'm always trying to learn more and more about this. I guess let, let's preface it with that. Like, I didn't grow up doing deer drives. I grew up in Western Ohio where we're talking very, very, very small woodlots, um, you know, a lot of agriculture fields. Um, the woodlots aren't wet. They're not swampy. It's just straight up dry wood. And there's small patches of it. So when to drive deer out of those woods, it, it didn't ever, it, it didn't interest me very much. I don't get me wrong. I did it some, but I didn't do it a whole lot to where like that was never, um, the, the main strategy. And the main reason was just simply because I, I just, um, I didn't, I didn't fully appreciate the strategy at that point. Um, now even in those areas, I still think it takes the right group to kill big bucks, you know, to push a a deer out of just a, you know, doe and a fawn out of a patch of woods, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of strategy. You start on one side, you walk through it and the deer hopefully shoot out the other side to kill big bucks. though, there's a lot more that goes into it, especially if you're dealing with, you know, a lot of terrain and solid timber where you're not just pushing them out into an open spot. So, when when we're doing this, you know, we're trying to learn as much as possible. We're trying to get better um, as we go. And the thing that um, I would say is the number one thing is like having a, a team that's all on the same page. Nobody can be selfish. If somebody's starting to be selfish and they're going to do their own thing, then like you might as well right you off. might as well go all hunt on your own, right? Because that's not worth a damn. If somebody's going to go out here and he's going to be scouting for you know where he's going to put his tree stand next bow season, either leave that guy at home or, like I said, don't even do it because it, you, in my opinion, especially in, when you're doing it in a challenging area with low deer densities and um, you know a bunch of different places the deer can escape. A bunch of different places the deer can bed. Like you can't be messing around. You can't be letting these, you know, having these open seams because something's going to slip through. And and I know that that's a very consistent thing that you can run into when you get a group. Is Absolutely. the guy, you know, there's the guy that wants to do his own thing. Okay, first off, get that, you know, either get that guy's like on the team game or you know, don't invite him back. See you right? later, buddy. So that's that's, <laughs> n- <laughs> that's number one. And and. The best way, I mean, I really believe, too, that, you know, having a, a base of people that is excited and shows that they're excited about everybody being a part of it, like, for, I think that's contagious, I guess. Like, right. for example, if the five of us were going to go and we were the ba- we were like the core group and then we invited, you know, two or three guys. And as soon as these two or three guys show up, we're talking about how awesome it's going to be when. Bailey shoots one and, and, you know, and, or whatever on this drive, hopefully he kills one. And then if not, but whatever. And it's like, man, we'll just be so stoked if we kill one that, that gets contagious. And I think right. having that mentality at all times is, is, um, 
a good start for it. Another thing is, is like, just read your strengths of every individual. I think of it like a sports team. I love sports and I feel like being a team of deer drivers is just like playing sports. Yep. You know, you're going to have, you're going to have your guy that, you know, on a football team, like he, super fast maybe he's not the biggest guy but he's super fast and he's just hard-nosed put him at you know put him at the free safety right it's like he's going to be able to move all over the field he's fast he's going to hit anybody you know then you got your guy on the other hand that's just just mean as hell like you know mid-size he's not afraid to back down he's going to come to play every play put him in nose guard you know you got a guy that's you know he's got fast and he can hold on to the ball put him in running back right it's like everybody's got their strength right same thing with the deer drive it's just some guys are going to be better at your still hunters some guys are going to be better at getting to a spot and being quiet some guys are going to be better at navigating the long route some guys are going to be better at you know sneaking through taking that extra 20 minutes to sneak into their spot because they're going to be the person that's getting as tight to that bedding area as possible. And I think every little drop, you know, every little situation is going to be different, but you got to make sure that you're picking the people with the right strengths to fit the job. Now that's not to say that any one position is better than the other, because again, at the end of the day, if one guy messes up, it may blow the whole thing. Right. Like Uh, if you've got that, if you've got that team mentality, man, it's like you're just not gonna you're not gonna mess it up because everybody's going into it knowing these guys depend on me and vice versa. So I got to do my job. It, it's so funny that you explain it like that because we actually you you said hunt your strengths. We had a podcast with a guy by the name of Todd Mead. Have you ever heard of him? I don't know. He's yep, a, yep, yep. Todd Mead. Um, he's mm-hmm. big Adirondack guy. Shot a lot of mm-hmm. big bucks up here, and we specifically asked him when he was on our podcast. We're asking about drives and stuff and how he would go about it. And almost verbatim said the exact same thing that you just said. <laughs> it's super <laughs> funny to hear, like, two guys with a ton of experience, like, doing this stuff. And you guys basically said the same thing. So that's that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about the I... strategic drives, though, that you're putting together, too, is you're bringing a lot of guys back to their roots. I mean, on a personal level, we didn't grow up doing drives. It no. wasn't really the thing that we learned and, and practiced. Uh and to hear what you guys are doing and see what you guys are doing, bringing a group of guys together, having a blast doing it and being successful, you know, nonetheless, it's pretty cool to watch. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And what, what's been really fun about, about our group of, of guys has been, um, we're from different areas too. Like we got guys from Wisconsin, Indiana, Ohio, New York. Um, where else have we got, you know, guys, just guys coming really from all over the all Iowa, been guys from Iowa. Like, you know, you get this group of people from all over the place, and just to see that, I mean, I honestly can't even tell you how special that is to me. Like that, those hunts that we've been having, where we get that big group of guys together, like that is is easily the most fun thing that i do all all deer season right like i love i love don't get me wrong i love stalking deer with a bow and you know the tracking but but when you've got that team aspect of it it, it really brings out like it almost brings out like the 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 
it, it brings out sports, man. That's what it is for me. It's like it Definitely. brings out that team aspect that like I just don't really get in life otherwise. I mean, it brings you back to that uh, place and time and lets you you know relive a good portion of your life in a way. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. absolutely. And there's just there's just so much fun involved in, in the trust and the and the excitement and the, the just pure joy for for your teammates. It's just it's not. It, yeah, it really isn't about one person. It's just so much about that team. And I I think, you know, I guess to, to take it, the strategy to a different level, I guess, or, to, you know, to a, a different part of the conversation is a lot of times you have to pick a spot and just commit to that spot, mm-hmm. right? Like one mistake that we make and, and um we make we make it we'll make it every year on on a drive is you mm-hmm. try to do too much um and, and maybe make it on five drives but you try to do too much and you got to continue to be willing to adjust that that scale and try to be willing to adjust to approach things in different directions um i think it helps to have like it, it helps to have people that are um it's a it's a fine line right you want to have people that are like assertive and gonna keep you know kind of keep everybody in line kind of like kind of like your your your, um almost like uh i don't know when when you look at i i I would use football because football is what i did it's like on offense you got the quarterback Mm -hmm. he's gonna keep everybody kind of like in check he should know if he's a good quarterback, he knows everybody's role, every every play. Right. Defense, it's the linebacker. He knows everybody's role, every play. He knows kind of how, you know how to keep everything in check. And you want to have, you know, one to probably three of those on in a group. Mm-hmm. You know where those those people are kind of keep bouncing the ideas. But then also you don't want to not listen to, you don't want to listen to your not listen to your cornerback. You know what I mean? Like everybody, you everybody's a key player. Yeah, everybody's exactly. A key player at all times. Exactly, and and it's nice to have. It's but it is nice to have people that kind of, um, you know, when we do it, there's usually three to five of us that are real, real serious about putting together the exact plan, like, you know maybe we all we kind of come together and and we say hey you know this is the best job for this guy this is the best job for this guy and and this is you know kind of the main target area how do we cover this how do we cover this and we kind of come up with that game plan and then we just you know then we go through it with everybody and kind of say hey you know on this one you're doing this are you cool with that yeah man that's i want to do that Mm -hmm. or you know i think i i feel more confident doing this and, and, and be willing to listen to each other. But at the same time, it's fine line of being efficient too. Cause like, you know, a lot of times you're doing an organized deer drive. It's not like you're going to have like 10 days where everybody can just be out there doing it. Right. It's usually right. a pretty short time frame, like a yep. weekend or, you know, two, three, four days. So you don't want to mess around and not get shit done. You want to go out and like go hunting as much as you can. <laughs> exactly. So I think that's a big part of it too, is just like kind of having that organization in place and, and everybody like, and then another thing that we do that that's huge is like one of our favorite parts about it is it's, it kind of adds the social aspect of it as we go back, you know, everybody eats together 
have some drinks, hang out, and then we um, we'll look at maps and we kind of go through the game plan for tomorrow. Right. And and we all sit there, and then and then that's when the whole team really really you know starts to put in all inputs because it's like this guy can say hey today i saw this on this terrain feature or i started noticing that when i was in this stand of red oaks that there's just a bunch of acorns you know i think we ought to hit that tomorrow and then it's like oh okay let's you know did anybody else see that it's like yeah i saw that too i saw some rubs in that and then then you come back together and then you just start piling all that info into into what you saw on a day and then bam you're just like taking that and run with to it. To keep That's... adding to football, it's like going back and watching film with the whole crew. No, dude, it's <laughs> right. exactly like that. Exactly like that. Oh, God. Exactly. Yeah. And it helps build the anticipation for the next day. That's right. And yeah, everyone and, gets and excited. Like, and yeah. Dude, it, when we go to – like, it's hard to go to sleep. We always joke. It's like there's no – there's no harder time to go to sleep than when you're like, have just built, you know, the plan for the next day and you got four kick-ass drives planned. It's like, you know, it's going to be a good time. Oh, that, that's like the most fun part about hunting for me. Like we, this just, I mean, kind of related. We go back to Turkey season. We were in Virginia, Zach, and we we're in our tent and I had heard a bird gobble like right off our campsite. And, mm-hmm. uh, Corey and Brad were going in the next morning to kill him, and dude, we must have stayed up for two hours. Just Brad and Corey just going back. We're gonna kill him in the morning, <laughs> saying every which way that they were gonna kill him. And they actually went in there the next day and killed him. Yeah, that's the same thing with deer hunting. Like it's that's what makes it fun. Yeah, that's, it all feels uh, yeah. less like it kind of takes the pressure off too. I know for us, Zach, like a lot of our season can kind of, you know, we're passionate about it, so we do go out there to win. You know, we do in the in the sense to go shoot one, and. Right. It is, it is uh, nice to get together um, as buddies sometimes and let that kind of go away. And now we're just like goofing off and having fun, but also, we're, you know, putting a plan in place to hunt. And I can totally see where you're coming from, man. I mean, I've been in, I've done that many, many times over the years. And that is some of the best experiences I've had hunting is just being with other guys. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. For absolutely. Sure. Well, we don't want to take up too, too much of your time here, Zach. Um, but we do really appreciate you coming on. It's been fun talking to you. Been yeah, nice, no nice problem, man. I, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I appreciate you guys having me on. I know that I'm not the most Adirondack experienced guy, but neither are we. <laughs> yeah, no, dude, like we said, we're we're all still pretty pretty new to this, honestly. Um, compared to a yeah. lot of guys who have hunted up here, so and we love getting different perspectives on things, it's especially like with a fresh set of eyes with your, like yours, you know, where you're traveling around the country and seeing a lot of different things. And like you said, you're, is, you're an out of out of the box thinker, so we like that. Yeah. What are some of the things that you guys have learned talking to different people that you feel like are some of the most um, uh, interesting things that you're excited to try out this season that maybe you've never even thought about in the past? Is there anything that comes to mind? Sitting. <laughs> yeah, you know, kind of, you know, what you were get, saying before, we, a lot of us have a tough time sitting still. We have a tough time uh-huh. committing to one spot because that exploration factor, like we want to see what's over the next ridge. We want to see what's going on on that other mountainside. And it, it's hard mm-hmm. for us to just sit still. And me personally, 
I would like to get better at that because I know there are a lot of guys. I mean, look at Brett in particular. Brett Joy, mm-hmm. he absolutely mm-hmm. crushes it. And good for him. I can't sit for seven days in a row in the same state. No, no. no. He's an insane person. Yeah. He, <laughs> I, I tell him that right to his face. I oh, say, definitely. I'm glad, I say, I'm glad y'all do it because I'm never <laughs> doing that. And so I love talking to Brett. I, you know, I give him a bunch of crap for sitting and not moving, but I, I love talking to him because he certainly, he certainly enjoys, you know, learning about beer as much as anybody. And I think, I think that it's super interesting just to hear different strategies and, and different styles. And, you know, I guess, I guess I did want to mention this because, um, it kind of plays into the sitting thing. Right. So I've been trying to really break down mistakes that I've made, made, um, I've been hunting, I've been hunting a lot in, uh, um, Ohio and those big timber areas. And obviously, you know, I used an example of like killing that buck with the gun, but the one thing that is interesting about that hunt and compared to like a lot of failed hunts, there's tons of failed hunts that happen that, you know, never make it on video because there's a lot of days when you're hunting timber as you guys know where you know you don't actually see a deer so it doesn't really make for all that exciting video so i condense a lot of those those trips down to you know the the best action so there's a lot of failed days in there too but one thing with the sitting that i um am kind of interested in trying a little bit more is Picture this scenario, okay? You're a guy with a bow. You can be anywhere in big timber America, right? It doesn't really matter. But travel around. Well, I guess anywhere in big timber hill, hill country. One mistake that I always make is I like to move around, move around, move around. And in the past, I've – well, actually, let me take a, a, a total step backwards. This is, this is getting – I need to kind of zone this in because I, I do think this will – um, help somebody. I know it's, I know it's, it's fun for me to kind of formulate this idea in the last couple of years. So I look back specifically this off season, I was thinking about what is the number one mistake? The number one mistake that I make in hunting hill country is I pick a spot on the map and I expect the deer to be bedded there. I go in there and I kick that deer exactly off the spot that I thought he was going to be. I walk right in there and kick him off. And I thought, why is that? Why do I keep doing that? Why, like, what is going on in my brain that makes me just continue to make that same mistake? I walk out to that spot and kick him off. And you generally don't even see him. You just hear him running away. So I got to thinking, like, what, what is it that makes me do that? I thought, okay, so my bow hunting experience, where's the majority of my bow hunting experience been prior, okay? ton of it on the ground has been in thicker areas in general. Iowa um, was hunted in out west in like the uh, like Nebraska, the Dakotas, um, um, even up in Minnesota, um, like parts, other parts of Ohio that are more farm country. You know, when you get into stuff that's thicker, you can pick an X on the map and you can go to that spot. And if that deer's in there, he really can't see that far. 
Right. But a lot of the stuff that I hunt in Ohio, or you would deal with it, exactly the same thing in Kentucky, Virginia, Georgia, um, Alabama, all the way up into the Northeast, West Virginia, whatever. The list goes on and on, right? Mm-hmm. Any of that, any of that Appalachian Mountain type of stuff is a lot of what you're dealing with there are these big, open, wide open ridges. So when you pick that X exactly where you think that bed is going to be and you walk in there with your bow you're not going to get 50 yards from that bed you're just not the deer is going to see and hear you from way further away right so i got to really thinking about it this off season and then when i went back to ohio and i i usually spend a weekend a long weekend there scouting so i was there for four days in february just covering tons of miles i got to thinking about it i'm like okay if I want to go be effective during bow season, gun season, or really whatever, any time of the year, instead of going right to that X, what I can do to keep myself entertained is I can stay at a safe distance and continue to move and scout for sign coming in and out of those places, but still staying far enough away from that X where it can't see me. If I see the sign, you know, I say X and I mean, I basically mean the bed. Mm-hmm. the spot where I think they're going to be bedded. If I see sign coming out of those spots, then I know that's a place I'm going to go back and set up. But I'm going to set up in a position that is a, well away from it and just hope that that natural movement is going to come to me. I'm not going to spend four hours sitting there waiting for a buck to come out of his bed in late October, but I might go slip in there for the last hour and stay you know, 300 yards just around the backside of the ridge point is if you're hunting in iowa you can get way tighter to deer than in their bed than you can when you're in open timber period like it's just there's just no question it's just way easier because they can't see out of the bed they may even be able to hear stuff but they can't see out of that bed so they just assume it's another deer where as soon as they hear you you know rustle a leaf from 300 yards away they're going to stand up and look and they see your head pop over the ridge. They're gone. And I think that's one thing that I'm really going to try to focus on this year is just taking a step back, trusting that sign and trust that, you know, there's a decent chance that, you know, if you're in there at the prime time that they may, they may move that far from the bed, but you just, you just can't get any closer. Does that make sense? That makes yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and it it's very applicable to what we're dealing with up here. I mean, with the exception of some spruce hemlock thickets and and a lot of the swamps, most of the areas we hunt are open hardwood ridges. I mean, we don't hunt a lot of prime time. I know you're not talking about just the evening hunts, Zach, but we don't hunt a lot of prime time um, up in the mountains because we don't want to be walking out three miles in the dark. So we're usually right. you know we're usually done by. If it's getting dark by 4.30, well, we're usually done by 3, 3.30 in the afternoon. So we're only hunting deer in the morning and any uh, midday movement that you might hit. But unfortunately, we don't get to hunt the afternoons. I mean, you could if you want to do it. And I say you like anybody that's listening. But um, I don't know. I'm just not big on walking out for three miles in the dark. Not, not, I mean, it's not a scared thing. It's just like that's just redundant to be walking in the dark for three miles. It just sounds boring and awful. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But but, but But what you're saying makes sense for sure. Yeah, I think I just think that it's something that uh, basically I'm trying to force it like I would in other places. And I just have to adjust like that's the biggest adjustment that I have to do 
personally in those situations and I'm hunting, you know, in Ohio, Kentucky, I mean, Indiana's the same, you know, like Southern Indiana, Southern Illinois, even like we're dealing with these big, you know, these big tracks of timber with spiny ridges on them. It's just like those deer set themselves up in positions that they can honestly just see you from so far away that like you just can't get, you can't get super tight to the bed where like for so long when we were hunting, you know, when we were so focused on buck bedding, we were always talking about, let's just go, you, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be within 150 yards and ideally you're inside of a hundred yards of where that bed is. Well, you can't do that. You know what I mean? It's right. like, he's, he can see that far. I mean, he can see that far times two, oh, yeah. you know? And I think mm-hmm. that's just something that I've, I've really thought personally, I'd like to kind of dial in a little bit more and I don't know. Well, it's kind of similar to what you said with the sitting. I guess it just brought that thought up to me, and it's something that I, I don't know. I don't know if I really make a whole lot of sense with it necessarily, but it, but it, it's something that's starting to kind of click for me, I suppose. Yeah, no, I mean it makes sense, and it'll be interesting. Like we all watch your videos, so it'll be interesting to see like how you kind of go about this year. And and another thing that we talked about that we definitely want to do this year is not we're not doing drives to each other, but just hunting towards each other from different points throughout the day and just trying to get some of these deer up on their feet like if we if one of us has it and that's like what you said earlier uh trusting your buddy and kind of you know giving one up for the team potentially if somebody else has some more hot sign to go off of or has a sighting up where a buck might be if we could all get in an area where we can kind of hunt towards each other and just get a, a buck moving around i mean up north that's that's huge just to get a, a buck on his feet and yep. moving potentially towards another guy. So we're definitely going to end up doing that this year. And we hunt some pe- we hunt some pieces that are like 15,000, 16,000 acres. And uh, though they're huge, they're not like the really, really big tracks in the Adirondacks. So they're more manageable to us to break down and hunt. And there's some places that we think if we just work as a team, we could probably get a shot at a buck. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. we'll do that. Yeah, today. that's cool stuff. Yeah, it is. I guess uh, I'll, I'll ask you one more question here. Um, mm-hmm. you, got any, you got any bulls picked out? <laughs> any elk? Yeah. <laughs> no. No, I think. Uh, yeah, you haven't, you haven't think, seen the big one yet. <laughs> no, I think if I get, uh, I think if I get one in front of me, then and it's and it's legally antlered, then we'll be good. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the samurais yeah. will be flying. You, you get out uh, scouting them. Uh, you know, a little bit, not, nothing crazy. My, I honestly end up having to work a lot this time of the year, just sitting at the computer and I never get out to scout as much as I'd like, but um, my, so my buddy Grant, who was a intern at Midwest Whitetail or uh, Midwest Whitetail at THP. The Kansas fence um, jumper. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He, uh, he moved out here about a year ago. And he's got a, a tag this year, so I'm going to be trying to go with him. Um, that that should be a good area. That's an area that um, I've never hunted before, so we're going to try that. And then I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to try to. I'm not totally sure on my plan. To be honest, I'm I'm halfway all the time, just overthinking how to fit all the things into a season and into a month that I would like to do. Right. But, um, I was thinking about um, maybe trying to. So I actually have a rifle tag for elk right now. 
Oh. And the reason I did that is because this is so totally stupid. Just just hear me out on how I messed this up, and and <laughs> and, and take my and take my take my advice mm. for any time you find yourself in this situation. I hope I so, hope sometime in the next few years I find myself in that situation. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. You guys, you guys going turkey hunting and traveling around like that's step one. Next thing you know, you're going to be all in elk hunting. I know you will. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> so, and you and you absolutely should be. Should, don't wait around on it. It's 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 that's where it's that's really where it's at. But anyway, so I I had you guys are familiar with go hunt. Mm-hmm. I'm not. So go hunt tells you like. <laughs> If anybody listened, and I guess is not not sure like what that is, it basically can tell you, you know, it helps you figure out like you plan how to plan out your hunts. Like it shows you odds that you could draw different tags or different areas. I mean, you can get you can get so lost in that. It, I mean, you could spend countless hours on it. And anyway, I'm going to. I was re- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was reading too much into my odds and. I was seeing that I was had 100% draw odds for Wyoming elk. Well, it turns out 100% draw odds was exactly wrong because I didn't draw the tag, so it was more like zero percent. But I had put all my I put all my eggs into that basket and was like, "Oh, I'm going archery elk hunting in Wyoming this year." Right. Well, I get the draw results after I'd applied after I had not applied for a Colorado archery tag. So what I thought was is I'll archery hunt in Wyoming and then I'll rifle hunt in Colorado. Well, next thing you know, all I've got is a rifle tag in Colorado when I easily could have got an archery tag here, but I just totally thought that, you know, it made sense to do one and then the other. Well, oh, no. <laughs> I think what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to turn in my tag and try to still just get an over-the-counter archery tag and just see if I can pull that off, but still just stupid. I should have just never been in that situation. So point is, is never trust your draw odds. No matter right. what you're looking at, it's like you never know because things change year to year. And I just <laughs> totally banked on drawing that tag. So um, anyway, Grant's got a, an archery tag. So I'm going to go with him, and I'm hoping to get myself a tag as well and oh, sweet. Um, try some new areas and that process we'll is all so complicated. Every time I look at the Western stuff, you know, the tag. It drawing. is, but it is, but you'd be surprised if you just if you just slowly chip away at learning about it. I mean, you gotta be you gotta be real interested in it. But like I said, I know I know you guys are uh, I know you guys are on the path of <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, coming in the path of doing well, it. Well, yeah, here, here's I, I a question for you because we've all gone back and back and forth on this. Would you think so? Like, if we go out there, say we want to go to Colorado, and that's our first place mm-hmm. we want to go elk hunting. Do you think that mm-hmm. we should go rifle, or do you think that we should go archery? I mean, it's really, uh, it's a great question. I mean, because we've, thing that's we've interesting, gone back and forth on it quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing about Colorado that's interesting is, is like that it's where there's the most elk hunting pressure. There's also the most elk in Colorado than there is, I mean, statewide, like right. it has the highest population that population compared to the other States you can hunt elk in anywhere you go. It's going to, there's going to be a ton of pressure in mm-hmm. Colorado. That's like, that's like very consistent, like maybe to the point where I would tell a lot of people, 
um, especially if you, especially if like you've only hunted, um, like deer in the Appalachian mountains, like it's going to be the most hunting pressure you've ever seen in your life. Like there's okay. going to be people everywhere, whether you're bow hunting or, or, or gun hunting. No, that's but, good to know. But that, but with that being said, like we kill bulls doing it. So mm-hmm. it's like in, in archery and rifle, um, like there's enough elk that you can keep it, keep it going. If you're going to rifle hunt, if you're going to rifle hunt, like expect a lot of people. But with that being said, I mean, again, we've, we've killed them doing it. So right. like last year we hunted rifle season and head shot a bull. And then, uh, archery season. The nice thing that's uh, what I would recommend for like you guys would probably be archery because you get to hear bulls bugle, you get to call, you get to, it's more interactive where rifle season can be more of just like kind of catch one escaping, you know what I mean? I'm happy to hear that answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I, th- I mean, but that, that's also kind of my preference too, personally. So it's, you know, keep that in mind is right. that that's what I like to do. Um, but man, it's, it's one of those things like, you kind of just got to go into it with an open mind. You know, if you're going to start something new like that, it's like, there's going to be pressure. There's going to be also places that you're miles from people. Like it's all about just thinking outside of the box. But if, if there's one thing that I've, I've learned, um, is like all these deer tactics we talk about thinking outside of the box is like, you got to take that to a new level with elk. You know, it's like, that's where, that's where thinking outside the box really comes in in handy is when you chase an elk and you know because i i guess you know all the all the um different areas that i've been lucky enough to go travel to and hunt the one thing that stays consistent and and seriously it doesn't matter if i'm hunting deer turkey elk or pronghorn or what it's like there's always a trend a regional trend like there's certain things that people just are, are kind of just all doing and like, for example, if you're in, um, if you're in hill, hilly terrain hunting turkeys yep. and there's the option to park on top of a ridge where there's like a, a, a ridge top road, if you will, that you can just park and walk straight out that ridge. Mm-hmm. Like that's what 90 Nice. 5% of guys are going to be doing <laughs> Absolutely. Right? No, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's not worth doing that, but it's like as soon as that's not working for you, it's like what can I do that's not that? You right. know, maybe that means I got to go up and over a couple ridges or, you know, maybe I start parking at the bottom and walk straight up or whatever it may be, but like, you know, that's a regional trend of that area. When right. I was hunting deer in uh New Mexico last September, it's like everybody was glassing from the road. Like I'm no kidding. I didn't see a single person up on a high knob glassing. So we would we would hike up to the top of the mountain every day and glass from up there and we were seeing deer that I know guys were seeing from the road. Right. That was when they're, they're like, driving the ATVs and stuff on the road, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Oh, that series and it's just was like, freaking awesome. Yeah, I oh, oh, man. That was, yeah, that, that was, was a good series. Yep. I'm glad you liked it because that was really fun <laughs> for me and I yeah. I'd like to that that was be honest, was dude. Did you sh- did you shed a tear a little bit off camera after you shot? I, 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 when I, I never shot, but, but, or sorry, you didn't, you're shed, right. You didn't shoot. You didn't shoot. But I certainly shed a tear. 
Yeah, that was. The, I, I was gonna say. I was just about to say that's the. That was the biggest like heartbreak or like just heartbreak or whatever you call it. Like disappointed in myself I've ever been in hunting. Dude, like, your your like, eyes were so welled up. Like you were just so, you had put so much time and effort into that deer uh, for it to not work out. You know. I remember when Corey and I when Corey and I met you. You were you were like still was, still talking was, about you were, like, it. you were like that was the most heartbreaking thing I've ever been through. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just devastated because, like, yeah, I, don't I have just worked like physically, mentally hard. It's so, and Roy too. I say, I say me, but like Roy and I were out there just like trying real hard, and and it just didn't play out. I have out. to I imagine mean, most bucks are not that consistently using an area like that, right? Are they fairly nomadic, or is it not unnormal for mm-hmm. a mule to use an area pretty consistently like that? Do you mean like a mule deer or, or any like a deer mule, in a, a mule deer. Like he was like a field. He was like the field tom that you hunt for days on end trying to kill him, and he's always in a new I portion think, of the field. So what was interesting though is like how much he could actually see from that spot. Like he, so he was generally speaking. I mean, he was always just down there somewhere below us. But there was days that he'd be like, you know, off the right side of the mountain. There'd be days he'd be off the left side. There was days that he was like. Um, we lost him for a couple or uh, about a day and a half in the right. middle of that. And he'd tucked down in this little crevice. So like he was moving where, from where we were, which is a whole, which is a whole strategy. I mean, I could dive into for hours about <laughs> what, like, what, was, the right hey, what was the little buck's blasting. name? Was he brother buck? Wasn't that his name? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, him. It was, uh, yeah, there was, there was, there was middle, it was middle brother. Middle brother. <laughs> middle brother <that's> <laughs> Because he, he was just always hanging out with him, and there was like, there was there was a there was a smaller one that was sometimes with him, and then there was that middle buck, and he just he was always just like you know he was not he was the next nicest one we saw, but it was like he was just all, almost always with that bigger buck, mm. and it was I mean that that whole it was just it was something else. I learned a ton from that. I learned a ton in a lot of different ways, but. Um, yeah, he just from from where we were, we could just see so much that it, it appeared that he wasn't moving much. But if you were to look at it like on a map, he was moving quite a bit. But we were like straight up on top of the, the entire range. Like you couldn't get any higher um, in elevation than what we were from where we were glassing every day. And so you we could guys just were see just everything doing, below. You guys him. were just doing something different that everyone else wasn't doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like like there was other guys in there hunting, but I know they couldn't see him. Like they just right. were never high enough to be able to <laughs> right. see him because like because you know it'd start getting daylight in the morning and it's like okay, is he going to be over here to the right? Is he going to be way over here to the left? And, and the difference between over to the right and over to the left may be like you know a mile and a half through the mountains, right? So just through the smaller stuff. And imagine like being on top of one of those Adirondack mountains, just with no trees below you. That's essentially what we were in is, is just big, you know, big scale terrain. And when you can see all of it and now you'd be, you'd be adjusting to like, there'd be certain times where you'd see him kind of go behind a fold. Maybe you'd move up you know, a quarter mile or something or half mile and just get a different angle. But, um, that's, that's one of those things that, um, and just one of those hunts in general that I just, it's just very, very fun, very fun to, you know, get visuals like that and be able to make move. And I think what I was so disappointed in is I, I think I, 
Well, I know I didn't take it seriously enough. Like I, I, I did, and I was taking it serious, but it, there was just like the little things that I do on other stocks that I've been on that, you know, I just, I, I basically wasn't fully committed. And I'm talking like the time, and that's just how, that just goes to show how like mentally focused and physically um, focused you got to be where you can't, you can't mess up at all. And if right. your if your mind's in the right place, it's not. You know, you shouldn't make those mistakes. But my mind clearly wasn't in the right place, and I was just I was just getting uh, lazy with it. And I just made stupid little mistakes twice, and both times I made really quality stocks to him. I just lost it at the end, and I just slipped up and got lazy and messed up. And I mean, you know it's just like uh again to kind of relate it to like sports or something it's like when you know you're better than that like when you know you should have made uh, that tackle or uh, you should have made yeah, that throw you know it's like a routine yeah a routine ground ball in the infield to get the final out of the inning and you throw an error right past the first baseman and you're like what the hell <laughs> like i know i'm better than it's that like, it's know? like immediate reflection you're like why did i do it like that <laughs> yeah, yep uh-huh. yeah you look yep. back and replay a thousand different uh-huh. ways like why uh-huh. why did i not do that but yeah and i mean i would recommend too like i tell people this all the time it's like especially people that um you know, I, I guess it goes both ways. Like if your experience is only ever spot and stock hunting, I would recommend go trying hunting timber. And like for people in the in the east, northeast, you know, if you only ever hunted, you know, big timber stuff, like go try some spot and stock. You know, maybe go meal deer hunting, maybe go, you know, hunt deer out west or something. But but doing those things makes you so much better when you go to the next place because I. I I know it sounds crazy, but stuff I learn spot and stock hunting helps me in big timber setting. Like right. it totally does. Cause when you can see everything, then you can say, ah, that makes sense why they're using that terrain feature. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and whether there's timber on it or not, doesn't really matter. They're betting on it because of, you know, the way the wind's blowing over it, the way the sun's shading it or not shading it, um, you know, X, Y, and Z. But when you can't see things, you don't learn stuff as fast and, and vice versa, right? It's just like it goes both ways. There, there's right. not one that makes you a better hunter or the other. I don't, I don't believe, but if you do them both, it kind of when, just makes when, you more When you put them together, right? yeah. it makes you that much more well-rounded, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just cause you're like, Oh, I've seen this with my, you know, I've seen the sign of this before, or I've seen this, like I've actually seen the deer doing this because I was up on a glassing knob or something, right. you know? Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, we could go to read and sign around yeah. here. Oh, yeah, that's... We don't see the deer as much. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's, the, and that's the thing is like it can make you crazy too. And when, when you know, especially if you have like a, a slower season, um, and you you're hunting big timber, like you kind of get to go going insane where you start second guessing everything because, and that's so that's actually what I've been dealing with, with Ohio is like, I feel like I'm getting to a point where I'm like, I'm hunting this new, these newer areas, newer to me. Uh, that's what I'm targeting on purpose. Like the last, well, really all the time I've been hunting Ohio. I'm always trying to hit different areas. And like I've got to a point where I had like, you know, some slow hunts and then I start to second guess everything to the, to the point almost where I'm like, I need a mental break, you know, right. like I need, oh, yeah. I need oh, to yeah. do some stuff and like, you know, do something different. Like, 
yeah, like last year I didn't really do a whole bunch of spot and stop hunting. I, I spent some time in South Dakota, but not as much as I wanted to. And, um, you know, this year I'm going to try at least early to kind of get some spot and stock in and, and just, you know, kind of reassure, you know, just get a little bit of a mental break from that. Just seeing sign and no deer. Like we always joke, we always joke like, well, we heard one. <laughs> you know, like, oh, we've never seen them, but yeah, we just heard one today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. All right, man. Well, I think uh, I think that would probably be a good note to end it on. We're getting on almost hour and forty minutes here. So yeah, uh, well, that time flies. Awesome. Oh, time flies. <laughs> That's pretty great, dude. <laughs> hey, seriously, we really appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, it, was, it was a good time. Yeah, it was a good time. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. It's a lot of fun to talk with you guys, and you know, good luck this season and keep in touch. Yeah, you too, man. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll be catching up with you this year. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, if I make it up there, I'll definitely let you guys know. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. All right, Zach. Have a good right. one. Thank you. Yeah, See you, man. Too. See, See ya. ya. See ya. All right, guys, um, there you have it. That was Zachary Farnball. Uh Again, super awesome to have Zach come on here and talk to us about everything we talked about. We covered quite a bit of stuff. Um, with that, we'll uh, see you next time. And as always, uh, go give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all under Adirondack Bucks and Beyond, and we will catch you next time. See you, Ciao. guys.